Hello to all my Attitude Era fans. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Thanks to everybody who's been coming out to see my stand-up tour and filming it, been getting to talk to some of you guys. And I tell you, other comedians, they always tell me, they're like, man, you have the nicest fan base in comedy. And I'm lucky. And that's you guys. Thanks for being such kind, supportive people. I only have dates in Chicago left. I think there's some tickets for the late show in Chicago, chrisgeth.com. You want to come out on October 14th, Chicago. Anyway, this week's episode, let's talk about it because it's a tough one. It's one of the tougher ones, actually, in the history of the show. Because it deals with victims, uh, people who are unquestionably victims. I would say some of society's most uh, put-upon victims. It's a, it's a hard one, so brace yourself. And our caller is someone who works to help these people, works to help people who don't have many people looking out for them. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think that the caller this week is a hero, just one of these people who lives a regular life as an average person but qualifies as a hero. I hope you get something out of this conversation. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hi, is this Chris? Speaking. Oh, no way. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, hello there, sir. Hi, that feels good to have someone so happy to hear him from me. That's nice. Thank you for that. Oh, you have no idea. I've been listening since episode one and trying for since that time. So I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for sticking with the show. Oh, of course. It gives me life. That's good. That's what I'm here for. Give people life. <laughs> life. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing well. I just got off a 12-hour overnight shift. Whoa. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm still really caffeinated and good, so I might drink some more water because I've had a little bit too much caffeine. Um, but I have a job where I have to stay awake and uh, monitor girls and check on them throughout the night, so it's not one that you can sleep on an overnight shift. You're definitely awake and doing a lot of things. So. Wow. Because I should mention, it's 11.30 a.m. in New York. I don't know if you're on the yeah. East Coast, to be fair. Um, no. You're not. So you so you not. work like... I'm, oh, yeah, talk. You go. Oh, sorry. No, I'm in um, the Midwest. The Midwest. Northern Midwest, we'll say that. Yes. So you, and I do have to keep it a little... I have to of keep course. A little inconspicuous just because I do work... Um, with a confidential uh, program, so I need to keep things pretty on the DL. Um, but I can share my stories and experiences. Just can't obviously share any names or initials. But um, I work for a girls' residential program for girls ages 14 to 18 that have experienced or are at high risk for being sexually exploited, or they've already been trafficked. So that's uh, my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just had a, um, why it was an extra long shift was because we had an 8 a.m. staff meeting to go over some um, sexually exploited youth training with um, another program. Yeah. That's in my state. So, yeah, staying up and awake for that. And yeah, almost went to bed. And then I saw the tweet and I was like, oh, I got to try. I got to try. So it's pretty rad to hear your voice. Well, yours as well. And can I just first things first? Can I say you know you're you're working with people who clearly need a safety net and need someone looking out for them. So thank you okay. for doing a selfless thing. Thank you for doing a selfless thing on behalf of some people who probably qualify as some of the more forgotten people in this world. You know that's so very true, and it doesn't. Yeah, I absolutely love everything about my job. Yes, it's difficult, but the amount of heart-rewarding days that I get are just innumerable to any other, you know, 
job that I could imagine. So it's super challenging, but oh man, the rewards are bountiful. Before we even get into any any <laughs> questions or, or stories, is that something you learn in your training or is that just something about you, that ability to stay positive? Because without knowing anything about the specifics of what you do, I can tell you that I could not I could not do it. I'd be too sad. I'd be you too might be surprised. You might be surprised. Um because you know you have to realize that these pe- these girls are real humans and they're just like anyone day to day but they've just experienced so much more trauma whether it's intergenerational or historical trauma or just you know even emotional trauma um but these do go a lot deeper being physical and you know getting the resources that sometimes they just need to have a shelter so um and to see what they put themselves through or what their parents or so-called boyfriend or girlfriends put them through, um, helping them find that they can get out of the life, um, is, it's wonderful, <laughs> but thank you. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So you, 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 you doing, like I just said, I don't want to gloss past it. It's what you're doing is incredible. You said that specifically you brought up with people's parents, or boyfriend or girlfriend have done sort of you're you're working you're just because I've read a lot about it um, mm-hmm. and human trafficking I feel like many people don't know has become one of the biggest black markets on the globe by far mm-hmm. to a degree mm-hmm. that I think the average person maybe doesn't realize and that when I first yeah. read about it was astounding like billions upon billions upon billions of dollars are moved uh, in this world. It sounds like you're working more with people who have been sort of less international victims and more people whose right. own family lives have, have come apart in a yeah. way. Yep. And, you know, I live up um, where there are a lot of indigenous, indigenous peoples and First Nation peoples, and they are sadly seen as more exotic and they are more sought out in this rural community. Um, and they don't have, a, I mean, Native Americans don't have, hardly have a voice as it is right now. And that's even such a small number amount that are sexually trafficked or exploited and to help them find their voice and tell them that they are of worth is important because not a lot of people know that. And they are out there and they are struggling and they do need the help. They need the resources and there is not enough available for everyone. And, you know, there's a lot of numbers that they're high, but there's a lot of cases that aren't reported to you. And that's super scary. Um, You know, and also realizing another thing that I learned today was that a lot of the numbers show that like about 90% are females that are sexually trafficked. But, and then, you know, under 10% are males or gender nonconforming, non-binary. But then it's really, those are the cases that are unreported too. So it is um, more so half and half when you're actually out on the ground and hearing with like the other regional navigators that do a lot of the um, transport of these youth to different shelters around the state is that it is really half and half. Wow. So it's. It's not just girls that you think of. You also need to think of the young males out there, too. And is that just because there's maybe, I would imagine that there's even even more social stigmas that, that keep mm-hmm. younger males from, there's just like a lot of masculinity issues and a lot of societal pressures that, that, that they feel, oh, I particularly need to keep this secret. Is that the root of that? Yeah, I mean, and it's also like marketing. Like you don't you don't see the marketing, you don't see it on the billboard of a young man. You think of a young girl with like you know a dark skinned black uh, hand over a white girl's face, and that's totally not what it is. It can be anyone, anywhere. Anyone can be trafficked, yeah. um, and anyone can you know. There is no certain thing. There is no certain certain person or what they look like to be a trafficker as well. Like, you know, that was one of our very first trainings was, all right, go, let's go around this table. Here's some photos in front of you. 
who do you think are traffickers in here? And, you know, you see priests, you see grandmas, and, you know, you just go down the whole line and you realize these are all traffickers. They all look so different. They are all doing that evil, evil thing, too. Yeah, grandmas is surprising. Priests less so in 2019. Not to make a super macabre totally. joke, but as a as a lapsed Catholic, if you put a if you put a group of pictures in front of me and said pick out one of these people who has some weird thing with kids going on, and one of them had a white collar on, I sadly might my eyes might be attracted to them. Sadly enough, but I, I oh yeah, no, I definitely circled that. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. I'm not trying to make too many jokes in this episode. Um. This is a grim one. It's a grim one. Such a sad topic. Can I ask when you is there is there any I would imagine that sometimes people are just sick. Sometimes people just do not have um morals that that meet the standards that we expect in a civilized society. But I would have to imagine is are there also some cycles that lead to this? Like I would imagine if you're in if you're in a family where there's poverty or drug abuse do the do the warnings or the likelihood that someone might fall into this increase oh yeah most definitely most definitely most definitely sorry um i mean yeah you you can factor into all of those vulnerabilities and the more likelihood that they have more of those vulnerabilities is they're up higher on the risk factor and um yeah, it is really sad, but they, you know, that's how we're taught is, and that what it is, is that these traffickers go through and they slowly pick out those who are vulnerable and who need those, that food, that money, the drugs, you know, and that's a really big one is that, you know, they first hook into getting the drugs, even if it's just a cigarette, but then finding out later that that cigarette is maybe laced with heroin or meth and I've heard about um, this. These girls are 14 and 15. Yeah. This and it's just a, like, you know, they, they pose it as just cigarettes, but then it's, you know, it's the rest of their life that they have to fight for. Right, right. This is this is a thing I've, I've, I have read about where traffickers will sometimes actually restrain someone and give them hard addictive drugs. Like there's stories of people actually being injected with heroin against their will to get them addicted, addicted and, and basically enslaved to people who can then supply that to them it's it's yep yep crazy wow yeah and that's like so many you know i come from such a a a community where um there wasn't much diversity and yes there were things going on behind the scenes that i wasn't aware of um but where i'm at now it's so much more prevalent and um you can just see these girls wanting to find something hopeful and I've had to learn so many different things that I never thought I'd have to learn. Like um, when I bring the girls to the library, like I got to watch them like, so they aren't scoring H behind another bookshelf. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like what in the world, but um, it's very real to them. And you know, they, they don't kick, they don't get kicked out of our program if they do happen to use while they're um, out of our site um, they are fully monitored, but sometimes they do have passes to go home or see, to see family. Um, and it's, it's, we don't have a punitive system um, because that's not going to be helpful at all in the whole cycle of their life. Um, but yeah, it's a, lot, it's a lot that I've had to learn. And um, I've only been in this field for about 11 months, but wow. I'm fully immersed and it is the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> so, wow. What, what a, everybody listening, let's just pause and, uh, note <laughs> that this person I'm in conversation with just said, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I E I don't even mind saying this. You are a better contributor to society than I am straight up. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I want you to have that. I hope people tell you that every single day. <laughs> Oh shit, Chris, man! Oh wow, thank you. You're dealing with sorry, Sally. Oh, she'll be fine with this one. Um, you're okay. dealing with some of the worst circumstances. You're protecting victims who come out of those circumstances, and you're sitting here saying it's the best thing that's ever happened to you. 
That's yeah. I mean, I worked retail retail for seven years before this, and it was all about monetizing, and it's all about consumerism. And yeah. it wasn't you know people would com- I worked in a jewelry store, and people would complain about their luxury items, and it just ate at me. Like this isn't what life is about. This not right. at all. I don't care about that. And so to go into this world where you, where I do get to make a difference in these girls' lives, um, it is the best thing that happened to me because it, it did give me it gave me that energizing factor in my life again. Wow. That, do you think back to those days? Do you think back to someone coming in being like this? Diamond doesn't have all four C's cut and clarity and like flipping out. And now you're like, really? That's what you're worried about? Because oh, yeah. I just met oh, yeah. a 15 year old whose boyfriend said he loved her and then got her hooked on meth and is now uh, pimping her. So maybe, maybe yeah. your diamond clarity isn't worth a tantrum between adults. Yes. Yes, it's maddening for sure. My, you know, those people used to make me cry because they would make me feel so low. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Yeah, I'm sorry, you know, your rubies. You're still going to be mad at me. I'm sorry, your <laughs> rubies weren't polished to your liking. <laughs> okay, now you're giving me flashbacks. No. <laughs> that. Okay. Can we just say, I hate to even laugh at all during this episode, but you have to laugh at life. You. Maybe three yeah. minutes ago said falling into a world where you provide social services for victims of human trafficking is the best thing that's ever happened to you. But me making a joke about rubies is giving you flashbacks. That is telling. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very true. It is very true. It was a, I had a really interesting time with my jewelry store. Um, yeah, actually, my company ended up paying me out for therapy because of uh, what they put me through. <laughs> what? But that's another story. I don't want to. Yeah, the yeah, jewelry was, store is paying was, for therapy, and you're yes, and then your because, therapist is. You're, so your therapist, you're on the couch. You're explaining it all. And your therapist is like, "Look, this is a high pressure environment. And as far as your occupation <laughs> goes, we might need to find something with a little bit less tension." And you're like, "I think I got just the field." I think I know just the field for me. Uh, yeah, but I'm all about the heart work. I've always been all about the heart work. Like, I've always been that person where people just, like, come and vent to me, and I'm all for it, and I'm all ears, and um, I love it. And so the fact that these girls put their trust in me, and I get to help them through their day to day with their schooling, with how to maintain a household, because that's a lot of the program, too, is that we're teaching them life skills to be able to be on their own and not have to rely on anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they can have, you know, we can help them find all those resources, but it is about the in and out of teaching these teenage girls that they can make it on their own and they will be a okay. Beautiful. I have a couple questions. Um, yeah. I, a couple broad ones that I think are, are important. Um, one, when do you do you more often see the situation you described a boyfriend a family member exploiting or do you run into situations where you know you hear all these stories and and some of them are very real and some of them are uh you know urban legends um of like syndicates and vast underground networks do you do you see people in from those as well. Cause I mean, a lot of that, I feel like the international human trafficking is I've read, I once read a book. It, it was really great. And it, it had a name that I feel like everybody would have been talking about this book that it, it's good. The name of it is McMafia, which I feel like misrepresents oh. it as a less serious book than it is, but it was all about how oh. bla- it was all about how like black markets have changed because we globalized the economy so that, it was really fascinating, and I'm off on a tangent. It, where like the black, no, that's fine. the black market used to be like some regions of the world. It was really hard to get cigarettes, so there was a whole black market for cigarettes. And mm-hmm. then we globalized the economy. It's no longer hard to get cigarettes, but guess what? You have all these people who are used to trafficking cigarettes and making a lot of money, and they have a whole infrastructure in place 
they're not going to stop trafficking. They're just going to traffic something else. And that's, those become drugs yep. and guns and humans. And it's kind of easier to traffic humans because drugs you can find and guns you can find, but you can convince a person that they are in danger if they talk. So human trafficking, yep. some people say, is actually the easiest one for these underground networks, these black market economies. Because you can tell someone, I'm going to kill your little brother if you say a word on this plane flight. And they might stay quiet. Mm-hmm. You can't deny that it's drugs. Do you find, have you, are you dealing with people who are more from this is a family that fell apart due to poverty, drugs, et cetera? Or are you seeing victims who have been, have fallen into these uh, very, very dark underground worlds? Uh, so I mainly deal with the families that do break down. And, you know, I had a girl tell me, like, you know, yeah, my mom sold my brother when he was six for $1,000. Oh, my goodness. You know, stuff like that. And that's pretty, yeah. Um, and that was, like, she told me that on my first week. I was like, oh, okay. Then, you know, like, that, like, really brought it home to me. But, uh, you know, we also have to, like, when the girls come to our facility, we wash all their belongings. And we have to inventory everything in on their little sheet. And, you know, I have seen those girls that are randomly here from the southern part of the United States, and all they have is lingerie, just like, you know, 12 pairs of lingerie, but only one pair of shorts, one pair of jeans, one sweater, and then that's it, you know, and just, or like, she also had like a fancy satin robe, you know, and you could really tell that she had been through another realm um, of that world that most of the girls that I work with haven't experienced, but um, yeah, it, it really all depends kind of what comes through our doors for referrals. So, um, but there's a big enough need within this community that we can just help anyone around here. And it's still <laughs> just like, wow. yes, please more grant money <laughs> because there are so many, so many endangered youth that are going through things that they should never have to go through. And yeah, like bring it back to like the whole boyfriend or girlfriend thing. And they are easier to manipulate because they are vulnerable. They want, they want food, they want shelter, they want whatever. And, you know, it's so hard for us as counselors to, when you hear those girls defend their trafficker, and they're like, no, right. he loves me. You know, you know, it's just like, you know, you just have to start breaking it down for them. And, you know, slowly they'll get back into the cycle of normality. And, you know, they might relapse, but we're here to help them, guide them back to that continuation of recovery. That's so sad. But you can hear it. You can almost hear the conversation of someone going, Right? Like, okay, you can come live in my house. All right, let's party all the time. Mm-hmm. And then, hey, after a few months, you know, we're tight on rent and you haven't really contributed. Yep. Hey, I know how we can make some yeah. cash fast. And look, we party all the time anyway. Maybe we should just think about this. And then that tumbles very quickly. This is how you can stay here. If you want to stay here, this is how you can stay here. You know, like you're even on. Um, one example that was given today for my training was, you know, this mom can have, say, like a 14-year-old daughter. 14. And she can go, you know, she's... Oh. Yeah, a lot of these girls aren't up towards... Like, we have helped a girl that is in her 21st year of life, but, like, most of these girls come in when they're 14 to 16. Oh, um, oh that gets me so mad. Oh, yeah. And this is, I mean... And that's luckily the age that we can take them. Um, and there aren't many resources for ages below that, which is even harder too. So, but it's still very, very real. Um, do they, yeah. do these know, girls, because <laughs> you're describing, I mean, when you hear, when, when you're explaining that sometimes they go to the library and you have to try to, you have to try to keep an eagle eye out for heroin dealers. I feel like the next question is a little silly to even ask. Do they still get to be teenagers? Do they still ever 
get that experience. We're going to pause right there. The question I was waiting to ask for a while because I'm very interested in the answer. I hope you are too. But we do have ads on this show. And I know sometimes on these intense calls, it's, uh, it's tough to break them up for ads. But it's how we bring the show to you for free. We'll be right back. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to this conversation. Do they still get to be teenagers? Do they still ever get that experience? From my perspective, um, no, I had a really good... I mean, I hated my teenager years, but comparatively to what these girls have, these girls aren't getting to live the life that they deserve. And, you know we have to keep them safe. So it is part of them, you know, like we can't tell you, I can't give you the address and I won't, you know, I don't give anyone the address of these house locations because their traffickers could come and, you know, coordinate and like, you know, we run intruder drills just in case. Really? um, You know, oh yeah. Oh yeah. We do. (laughs) uh, Because that's a very real threat is, them finding out where they're at and taking them or, you know, they're playing the game that they go into this program, but then they're also grooming other girls in the program to go on run with them. Oh, and, wow. You know, so they don't, yeah. So like the biggest thing that the girls hate is that they don't get to have their cell phones <laughs> right. because like, that's just such an easy connection. And we monitor all calls you know, all their internet usage, like for anything, when they are on the computer, we have to sit right next to them, even when they're doing schoolwork, because the fear and the threat is too big. It's just not worth it. So, yeah. (laughs) Is your program, is it voluntary or are these like after police involvement, people are... It is after police involvement. Right, right. It's, yeah. it's, it can be voluntary, but um, most of the times it's not. Um, yeah, it's mostly court ordered. Which is, I think, really encouraging in the sense of, I think in maybe prior decades, these girls would have been viewed as criminals. And it's, I think it is very good mm-hmm. to hear that they're being viewed as victims because it's absolutely what they are. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder what you think. I in my actual neighborhood, my actual neighborhood, um, there was like a reason. It was someone ran for Queens DA. Her name was Tiffany Caban, and she really inspired the neighborhood. It's, you know, I live in the same district that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez came from, and it's very, mm-hmm. very politically engaged. And uh, Caban almost won and and lost by like a few dozen votes to someone from the old Queens County machine, blah, blah, blah. Point being, one of her main, um, one of her main tent poles that she was pushing really hard that was making all these waves was that she wanted to decriminalize sex work. Um, And I wonder if you would have an opinion on that. Because in in one sense, it would mean there'd be so much less people needing to live in the shadows or people having shame held over their heads and being able to get help. In the other sense, I feel like it could be a free-for-all. It's really hard to sort out my feelings on that as someone who had to actually cast a vote thinking about it. Yes, and that is that is a struggle for me too because I am very pro-sex workers, but I want to... There's a completely different... It's so different. You know, the sex workers choose and they are empowered by this, but the, it is not manipulation by an outside force or anything else. There, There's, it's a complete detachment and I am all for sex work, but it also unfortunately does create more of a need for these underage girls too mm-hmm. that are specifically asked for in that world. And so like from a work standpoint, like, Work and personal is different on that view, for sure, because right. I, I see these girls, they're in my day-to-day. But I also have friends that are sex workers, and I fully support them, too, and uh, what they do. So it's right. kind of like, I just have to keep that separate for me, as hard as it is, I guess. It just, it, it's a completely different world. Um, these A lot of these girls, you know, they don't 
have developed minds at all. Yeah, that's when you said 14 to 16, you said it a couple of times and it really clicked with me of like, man, your emotional development and your view of, like you still believe in fairy tales, you know, you still believe in fairy tale versions of love. (laughs) When you're 14 years old, like you're writing in a diary and you're dotting your eyes with hearts and you're talking about boys in school and you're hoping they'll marry you and stay with you forever. Cause you don't understand that when you're 14, you know, we're not living in the 1880s. Like the majority of people are not getting married when they're 14 years old. When it happens, it's viewed as a little bit askew in modern times. And to jump, to, to, to sort of like jump into the fray and exploit girls who still have this like completely naive relationship with what love and sex are is just the, uh-huh. height, the height of evil, the height of evil, I think. Yeah, and a lot of these girls have a hard time integrating into high school because um, what one of the people said today, she's like, a big thing, like, um, the girl who came to did training with us, she is more one-on-one with the girls and talks more about their trafficking experiences where, like, I'm not going to touch that situation or touch that topic unless the girl brings it up to me in the moment. Like, that's right. completely up to them. But this advocate, you know, she's like, a big thing with these girls is that they can't mesh into high school because they're, they don't, you know, most of their friends haven't had sex and they know their number and it's 87. And a big thing is their number that they know. Um, so, yeah, sorry, that number is still just like, you know, for a 14 to 16 year old, it's just, um, you know, yeah. and he, girls will tell you, like, I don't even know how many guys because I was just going in and out of being comatose, of being some under some kind of drug and just waking up every time she would come awake and there would be another another guy. So, oh, um, my God. Yeah. And it's like I love um, – I love these girls. I can't say that like to them at all, but they have my heart. Um, they, you know, and I have to be, I have to be the parent that they haven't had. So they don't usually like the staff because we're enforcing them and we're, we're holding them to structure. Um, but that structure, they do crave that structure ultimately. And whatever they do share with us, I mean, you're going to, anyone, who worked for the program that I do or any similar program that I do, you're going to have your up and down days and you are going to create a bond with each and every one of the girls, um, no matter how little or how long they stay. Sometimes the stay can be two days, like, okay, this isn't a, this isn't the right fit for me. Let's find another shelter or this is going to be my home till I'm 18. And then I'm going to go into extended foster care. Um, and or they get adopted, you know, it's, and I stay with them for 11 months and it's, you just, and you don't get to have contact with them once they leave the program. It is, you you know, (laughs) that's the hardest part of my job, but it is ultimately the most, it's one of the most important things because you have to have boundaries. You have to have that safe working relationship. Um, You can't get too personal with these girls. Um, They can share everything personal with you, but you still have to be restrictive because, we are here for them. This isn't about us. This is about them. And how can we help them through their life? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I celebrated with one of my coworkers. I was like, oh, this is the first girl that I like I was attached to. And I didn't bawl my eyes out when she left. <laughs> and she's like, oh. And there are some girls just like, you know, we're just like so glad when they leave because they just aren't adhering to the program and they're just not wanting to be there. And right. if they don't want to be there and stick to the program, there's not much we can do. Right. Which is so hard too, because I would imagine that it's disruptive and it might hurt the experience of the girls who are locking in. But at the same time, you're also so aware, I'm sure of like this, any behavioral issues, you can't, you're not really, you can't blame someone who's been through all that, but it's, Mm-mm. still 
you have to get the job done. Yeah. Are you trained? I know I, I, you hear stories a lot of times about flight attendants being trained to look for mm-hmm. signals that trafficking is happening. Is this something mm-hmm. that you've, you've been, you know, trained in as well, just because I feel like sharing that information to anyone listening for this might be really eye-opening. I'm not sure if it's something you can speak yeah. to though. No, no, I totally can. Um, so I think like some of the biggest signs um, would be that they are, they aren't doing the talking. They're letting the other person do the talking. Um, they, they don't, they seem quiet and reserved. They will have, like their cell phone is really important to them too. Most times out on the streets and stuff and in the life. And you can see that they maybe have access to all the clothing, all the money, all the food that they want, but they still have restrictive access to their cell phone. That's a huge sign. Um, so if someone else and, in their life is, if they have to ask to use a phone and get it handed to them, that type of thing? Yeah, that type of thing. And it's also, I mean, or I mean, not even handed to you. Like, no, you aren't going to have it because, you know, you can call whatever number. Right. Simple as that. It's just right. on or off. I'm going to, I'm going to restrict you. Um, but it's also like to the point where if you can tell, like, if they're, now, I, this is also kind of another thing because I do really, I love, I'm all for bo- body positivity, bo- body positivity, and you can see that some of these girls that like they'll take clothes and then they'll just like make it, they'll cut them up and they'll they'll make everything a little less skimpier and that's fine. And so, you know, sometimes you have to defer between okay, are they just really loving their body right now, or is this like for another reason? Right. Is um, this an advertisement? So that's one of the signs too. Yeah, it is. And as sick it is, is they, you know, want, they don't want to get beat up. They don't want to have their family get killed, you know, which is very real too. Um, and I know there's, there's a lot more, but yeah, I'm also off. <laughs> I think part of my 12 hour brain. Um, oh, of course. Overnight, the is, caffeine's wearing like, down. I bet at it the, is just a little bit. I bet at the end of most twelve hour overnight shifts your impulse is not I'm gonna get on the phone and explain this for an hour. This thing I just went through. You probably wanna go home and uh <laughs> I will admit there's been a few times where I've been I've been hoping after my overnight shift, because like that's the only time that I'll see your tweets come through. I'll be like, Oh, I'll try. Um <laughs> so I have thought about it. And so it's kind of like, yes, this is something that I do want people to hear because it is such a stigmatized thing and there isn't a lot of information out there. So, I mean, please look it up. And if I could tell you what state I'm in, I would and just give you all of these course. resources to go look it up. But, um, but I just don't feel comfortable with that. Yeah, so. no, we don't want to put anybody in a, any sort of danger zone professionally, personally. And just a follow-up question to what we were just talking about. If someone's in a situation where they're getting a sense that something's off, they're seeing a young girl and they're with someone and you're like, this relationship doesn't, this doesn't seem like a family thing. This seems weird. This girl seems like her, she's out of it. Mm -hmm. And you're noticing some of these signs you mentioned. What should people do? I think what you... um the biggest organization and then that the um, one of the houses is funded underneath is the safe Harbor grant. So I think in every single state, there are navig- uh, there's uh, navigators all around the state that can like hook you up to whatever services in your community or in the region. And they will give you the same kind of services that my program provides uh, provides. Right. So safe harbor. Safe harbor is what you uh, Google. Yeah. Safe harbor. And in that the is, in the moment, is, is it recommended in the moment? Do you try to do you try to find a way to ask a young person, "Are you okay? Do you call nine one one, or is it just do what you have to do to trust your instinct that something's wrong?" Because I, I feel like one of the scary things and one of the sad things, especially for victims, is we are all conditioned in society. Uh, by and large, I think to go, uh, I better keep my mouth shut. That's none of my business. 
and an interaction that, you know, you might talk to someone for 10 minutes and go, something real feels really off here. And then spend, you know, a, a long period, a long, many months going, I, I should have called the cops on that. Is I feel like, but you know, you don't, you also don't want to put someone in more danger. I don't know if there's. Um, I, there are very, even in our region, there are a lot of specialized tests force developments with um, the Safe Harbor Grant and, like, working with sex trafficking victims. Mm -hmm. And it is always such a good idea to call if you see, even if you just have that weird intuition, because most likely that person might be, they can't say anything. They're still going to defend their trafficker in the moment, you know. They're not going to tell you straight up, most most likely. and you can put yourself in danger too, but like if you can somehow even just grab an inconspicuous photo and show, like send it to your police department, call them immediately, and kind of track their location, that would be amazing. Because I have a whole new—I mean, I have a whole new found respect for um, the detectives that work with these trafficked youth, yeah. and they're in it, and they're. I mean, they are never off. So, um, I mean, we've had even girls go on run and off-duty detectives will be like, oh, yeah, I heard that go over the wire. She was over in this corner. Um, so I brought her in. Wow. <laughs> you know, and she comes in and is handcuffed and just like, oh, good to see you. And, you know, she just screams, I hope you all fucking die. And you could just see that blank face. You know, she, yeah. it, was, it wasn't her in that moment but she just needed to escape and she just had other demons that she needs to work through. And these police officers and detectives are really doing a great job. Um, as I know, as like the whole black lives matter, they need to work better on that. Um, but from what I've seen in my community, they've really stepped up their game with, uh, trafficking and exploitation. Please tell me you have a hobby. Like I would love it if you were in a bocce ball league or something. <laughs> do you? What, what are you doing on the weekends? Are you? I I paint. You I paint. paint. That's good. I paint the living daylights out of my life. Yes. Did you paint before this um, job? When you were a jewel? When you were in the jewelry retail world? Have you always been a painter? Have you noticed? The, oh yeah. Has the tone or tenor of your paintings changed as you've entered this different world? Um. Can I go kind of morbid, to be honest? Let's go ahead and pause right there. If she says, I don't want to get morbid, when we've been talking about some of the most grim stuff happening on the planet, keep your ears peeled. Is that a thing? It is now. Check out these ads. We'll be right back. Now let's finish off the conversation. Has the tone or tenor of your paintings changed as you've entered this different world? Um, can I go kind of morbid, to be honest? Because I know there's a lot. Of, um, yeah, why? <laughs> why? Why stop now? Why? What if I was like, nah, okay. nah. Yeah, we don't. Good. We wouldn't so want to like, go too I, dark with this call. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is probably like I don't know. It's not as bad, um, but. <laughs> I had a history of truancy. I did not want to go to school when I was in high school. And I would go home and luckily my parents were like, she only comes alive when she paints. So, you know, I worked out a thing where I could go to school to work and I would come home and just paint for hours. And, um, but those were, they were really dark and I would always try to paint how I cut myself (laughs) and like, um, mold the paint to get it all stacked up to be like just how the scars were and the color. And I'd be mad if I couldn't get it that deep of a red. I'm like, oh, it doesn't flow right. And this was rooted um, in real. So you and, were cutting in high school and you were emu- trying okay. to emulate the visuals of that in your painting? Yeah. It was like a cry for help. Like, please, our teacher, see what I'm going through. And she did. She did. You know, in my sketchbook, she would be like, hey, if you ever need to talk, I'm here. Like, if you're going through something. Um, so that was great for that. And now I'm just like bright colors all the time, doodle shapes. Like, it's not landscape. It's it's not abstract. It's all like just non-objective. 
Um, okay. And maybe some botanicals, I guess. But Lots of flowers. So flowers and shapes. Flowers and shapes and bright colors. Neon oh, yeah. colors. Oh, yeah. Light Chartreuse. pastels. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. And I actually just, um, I live, we're starting to get fall right now already. Like my, I can see everything, all my trees are changing colors. And it's like, okay, I got to go pack everything in for winter. But um, this summer, I have a little garden shed that I turned into what I call the back backwoods bungalow. And now it's, it's an old uh, chicken coop that I mm-hmm. turned into my painting space. And I, uh, that's where I spend the time where I just need to like hash out some things in my mind or just get my mind off of work and just delve into, um, the medium. But it was, yeah, I, it's, it's fun to be able to create, um, after a long, hard day. Yeah. Actually, that's what I almost did after, instead of calling, I mean, instead of coming inside and like looking on my phone was. Oh, it's actually nice outside. I should just go out and paint while there's light and it's not raining. <laughs> I'm messing but, that one up. I'm glad you mentioned the painting no, first. No, I'll get to it. Still. If I had said like, hey, do you have any hobbies? And you were like, oh, mostly I hang out in an old chicken coop. I would have been very concerned. So I'm glad you gave us the context <laughs> of the backyard bungalow first. Oh, yeah. We have like electrical electrical cords hauling out there. I mean, I have solar lights that are going inside too. So it's a pretty sweet deal. And I even like brought out one of my old uh, chairs that my cats tore up in the back and you can't even tell. So it's like anything in there can get messy. It's all, everything's game. That's awesome. And it will get, it will get paint on it. That's good to have a backyard bungalow. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. Now you said we, you said we, is this, uh, I've not asked one bit about your personal life. Um, And I feel like the reason it springs to mind too is I have to wonder if between the field you work in and the schedule you work in, if this doesn't affect one's ability uh, to have, to have, uh, I would have to imagine that sometimes this stuff gets in your head when it comes to your own personal life. Oh yeah. You know, and that's really, yeah, I do have a husband. Um, we've been together for nine years. Um, we actually met on Plenty of Fish, and it was a total, it married uh, for three years, and so that was another random thing. But, yeah, it is really hard. Our schedules are completely opposite. Um, because also another thing with the girls is that these youth counselors can't have a set schedule because for the staff that the girls like might like better, they will tend to go on run or they'll try to assault someone on um, the shift that maybe isn't the strongest staff. So it's a constant rotation of random schedule whenever. It's either 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., or 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. So, and it, you know, you don't want, I mean, as much as I would love that structure and I like structure, it's just not good for the program. Um, and it really does affect my husband and I, cause it's just like, I don't get to see him a lot. And I, we make a really good deal of just like, at least hugging each other for like a minute each day, just like when we see each other. And then like that has really helped a lot because sometimes we'll just be in passing. Sometimes like he'll try to stay up, um, and be like watching wrestling when I get home at night and, you know, yeah. he's just already I like so asleep and just like, Oh, Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, it is hard, but you know, it's, it's also really nice too, because, um, my boss is one of my closest friends too. Oh, and good. she really understands that work life balance and, she has never judged me once for saying like, Hey, I can only do three shifts this week or like I need some time off. She's totally respective of that. And it's just like, yeah, sure. We can make it work. Like we want you here. You need to take care of yourself. And these are important steps to take. So don't work yourself ragged because then you won't be the best for the girls either. And my uh, company that I work for, they do give, I mean, I've only worked there for, 
11 months and they start us out at three and a half weeks of PTO, which is completely unheard of in the world of retail. So what's PTO? Going from that and, oh, pay time off. Oh, PTO. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Being a lifelong artist. I missed that one. <laughs> PTO. The idea that you get to take time off. Well, you don't take time off. You just yeah. sit in your head and you dwell on your own inadequacies. You don't ever get to take time off from that. That's my life. I wish I had. Yeah. I wish I could have PTO. PTO sounds good. And I don't want to pry too much. I have to wonder. It sounds like your husband is a good man. It sounds like mm-hmm. you're prioritizing maintaining that connection and the difficulty with schedule. Are there times too where you do have free time together and you're are you able to, are you able to oh, yeah. basically separate that life or do you sometimes have to turn to him and go hey uh I'd love to be more engaged on this date right now but I I last night I heard the worst thing I've ever heard I'm sorry like I would have to imagine that might happen Oh yeah it's happened several times just like uh you know there there's nights that I'll come home crying and just like I can't believe just what happened like I'm still shaking and like you know, all you know. Sometimes the girls don't really want to be there, and they take it out on staff. Uh, luckily for me, it's only been verbally, but staff do get assaulted sometimes. Um, but yeah, we—he can totally read me too. He's like, "You let out of it?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Okay, cool." And just like doesn't need to go into more of it um, because he does deal with a lot of um, anxiety and depression with himself too. So that's another nice thing about having friends as coworkers too is that. They understand that you don't have to try to explain it to them. They just get it because it's a whole other world that it's so indescribable. Like, yes, I can do this hour-long phone call with you, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I did start to share stories with my husband. He's like, "I, I love what you're doing, but I just can't hear the day in and day out of your work because I can't. Yeah. (laughs) And I totally respect that. So... Yeah, we have, um, I mean, it's taken us some time, but we can, we definitely can tell when um, one or the other is off and just kind of be like, hey, you need alone time or like, like you're going to paint tonight? Yep. And then we'll have dinner and then we'll, he'll watch wrestling or soccer and then I'll go out and paint. A depressed, anxious guy who likes wrestling. Depressed, anxious wrestling (laughs) fan. Me and your husband would be fast friends, huh? I have told him that so many times. Yeah. <laughs> Sit around watching NXT, <laughs> pondering the say, pondering the uh, inevitability of this world's uh, propensity to crush one's soul. And then we'll watch <laughs> yeah. while watching uh, Sami Zayn do his uh, dive in DDT through the ropes from the outside. Anyway, yeah. does your husband have, no, does your husband like, have, really... oh, go for it. He's super into the attitude area era. Mm-hmm. So like he's going way back to all of the old school and just like watching them from beginning to end. So I mean, just got, like he's got the back. network. He's got the network. Yes, he does. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> There's a show. You got to let him know about this. It, it's a little bit buried on the network. It's called legends of wrestling. Ooh. You're going to want to let him know. Okay. I recommend legends of wrestling. He probably knows about it, but it's, it's this. I was like, it kinda... he'll, he'll know about it, but it's this show where. They just get like four or five old wrestlers and they sit around and they tell stories about the old days. And Oh, see, that's what I love. Oh, it's the best. And a lot of these guys came up in like the 70s when wrestlers, when it was like, you're not on TV every week. You're like doing a show in Omaha. Then you got to drive overnight to Amarillo, Texas. And you're getting paid $40 for each show and sleeping in your car. And, and getting beat up night after night. Oh my God, brutalized. And these guys don't even realize how, like, they all get going and there's four or five of them and they forget that there's people watching this and they, they don't understand how bizarre their lifestyle is <laughs> to, to normal humans. And yes. It's an amazing show. It's wild and oftentimes inappropriate. And I love it so much. Well, I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. Too. Yeah. I mean, it's just... I can't imagine, like, I look back on, like, the 90s and 80s, I'm like, the amount of tits and ass that they showed on television oh. would never be allowed now. Or just, Absolutely like, not. The 90s, yeah, 90s like, era oh. wrestling is like uh, a Me Too nightmare, 
And wrestling is yeah. rooted historically in racism. That's another that's another aspect of it as well. It's just like, yeah, you know, like Hulk Hogan was named Hulk Hogan because uh, it's an Irish name. And in the New York Territory, it would be like Bruno San Martino versus Hogan. And the whole point was to try to get Italian people and Irish people to buy tickets to see which ethnic group was better. That was, oh. that was how the New York Territory was. The name Pedro Morales. You'll notice the old school 70s WWE, you know, before when it was the WWF, all the champions had yeah. ethnic names back then. And it's because it was just, oh. can we get Ivan Putski? Can we but just, the Polish hammer. Also rip off his whole, like, scheme from someone else? Superstar too? Billy Graham. He's like, yeah, superstar yeah, Billy yeah, Graham. Yeah. yeah, me and your husband. Does okay. your husband have uh, ridiculous glasses and a comically large forehead? Yes. He does. He does. Yes, he always is so mad because he's like, okay, whenever I try to take photos of her face, he's like, you're chopping off my hair. Yeah, I do that on purpose. I do that. You guys will notice, uh, beautiful and honest fans, if you follow me on Instagram to get the show rubs, you'll notice. I often, uh, especially as my hairline is, you know, we started this show in 2016. Sadly, I had more hair then, and I now craftily try to get all the pictures close up enough um, where my hairline and forehead are blocked by a microphone or a headset. Yes, the artisanal crop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, Focusing on the face. Oh, or just like a close up of an eye and hope people think that that's somehow like a creative choice, like I'm trying to be artsy. No, it's just that I look at pictures of my own forehead and get sad. That's what's going on <laughs> with my Instagram. Yes, you and my husband would have a lot of uh, commonality in that as well. Yeah. And for anybody listening right now who's going, why are they rambling about wrestling and foreheads when we've had such an intense and interesting call? This is like the last eight minutes of the call where I reserve the right to just try to get you to laugh a few times so that I feel like I've done, because that's what I feel like the role of a comedian is. I feel like comedians are not important. I feel like there's all these think pieces. Everybody wants to talk about the importance of comedy. Comedy's not important outside of the fact that we get to give people like oh, you a yeah, good laugh. We get to give you a laugh. Yeah. And hardworking people and people doing good and people feeding their families, people with hard lives and people working in the service of others. I get to make you laugh. That's why I do what I do. That's the whole point. Yeah, thank you. You, you do. Like you have told me turned me on into the podcasting realm of comedy and to stand-up comedy and to other, um, like the Chris Gethard show. It's just like all of these things that like opened my eyes. So like you saying that comedy doesn't matter. Okay. Maybe in the big scheme. Well, I don't know. I think in the big scheme of things that it, it does because if everything is, if everything is so heavy, ew, what kind of, I mean, that's hard. That's really not fun to live through. And if you can't laugh, ugh. I need that stimulation to laugh because a lot of my, a lot of my mental thoughts just is so depressive, and it is a lot yeah. about what can I do to better serve these girls. So if I can just turn on some stand up, or a comedy podcast, and get my brain flowing in that way, that really does matter. Yeah, it does matter. <laughs> well, it's important. It's important, but it's tangential. It's important in a support way, and it's a service industry. And comedians are forgetting yeah. that too much the past few years. It's about our ego. I don't get no offense to anybody who's much bigger and richer than I am, but I don't I don't ever want to do comedy in a football stadium. I want it to be in a small room where I can look you in the eye and I can find the person yeah. who looks the most tired or the most exasperated or the most just done with it, or the person who's there by themselves. And I can go, this show is for you. We are the support. We are the, we we don't fly uh, we don't that. fly the jet we refuel the plane you know we're we're the ones yeah. there to help the people like you the, I'm inspired by you you're you're doing the real work that I could never do and I'm just glad to hear that I've given you a couple laughs along the way because man do you deserve them man do you deserve <laughs> oh, them. thanks <laughs> you've been working there eleven months did you have you gotten any vacations yet I, they must give you a decent vacation time right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what PTO is. PTO is the and you, vacation. When yeah, you, when you get that PTO, are you just like we're going all inclusive resort? I don't want to lift a finger. I want to swim oh, up. No. I want to swim up to a bar and get a strawberry daiquiri. Yeah, that's what I want. 
Yeah, yeah, I wish. I uh, also, <laughs> mm, this is a really hard time because it's towards the end of the call, but I also never graduated um, college because I was misdiagnosed with narcolepsy while in college, and it was actually just, um, so I, I didn't graduate college, and I saw $91,000 in debt of student loans that obviously you can't declare bankruptcy with. So no, I don't. Thousand. Yeah. So I just have to tell everyone out there, if you aren't feeling college right now, wait. There are plenty of jobs that you can do apprenticeships or like you can do, even what I can do, what I'm doing now is I can get my hours so I can actually become a mental health practitioner without going to school. I just have to put in more hours than the, than the people that do go to school for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all attainable and there are different avenues. Um, and another thing, sorry, just to like, put on the end is if you aren't feeling like your medication is helping you advocate for a different doctor because something probably is wrong. And, um, for my instance, like they misdiagnosed me with narcolepsy and it was just that I was on a crap ton of allergy medicine and depression medicine. I was sleeping 18 hours a day and never going into my REM cycle. Mm. Um, and that was unfortunately found out like as I was leaving college, Mm. but it is totally worth the whole journey of it. So beware of all those, um, things that a lot of pharmacists miss. That's crazy. Um, So you have a couple, couple too many nips of Benadryl and now you owe the man $91,000. That's, yeah, that's a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I was, they labeled me because because of um, my anxiety and depression is that I just had chronic pain. So I actually had a herniated disc and the worst arthritis uh, the doctor had seen in someone my age when I was 21. And he's like, I didn't believe you. I thought you were just making all your pain up, but I actually, you have all this. Um, so that goes, that ties in with the mental health communities that, keep trying a different doctor because someone is going to run a test. They don't think is going to come out positive and it might, (laughs) and then you'll be able to have a lot more answers and move on from life. I am with you. There's someone very, very important to me in my personal life who uh, was on medications for a few years and then just had a new doctor who was very perceptive. Are you there? Yes. Hi. Are you there? Oh no. Hi. Oh, no. This can't be how oh. this call ends. Oh. Hello? Oh. oh, no. I hear you for a second. I hear you the whole time for such a beautiful call and such a beautiful caller. This is the saddest way for this to end. Oh, hi. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What just happened there? I have no idea. I haven't moved all hours. I'm not sure. All right, we're going to give this one an extra minute because I just want to say a couple of things, which is one, I'm with you because uh, someone in my personal life just switched no, medications and they're, oh God. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, no. Say whatever you want to say. I will listen to the podcast. You'll hear I this on the podcast. Give me an extra minute. Okay. Uh, you'll hear this on the podcast. Someone in my personal life just switched medications. It has turned their life around. I am with you. Absolutely. Also put this out here. Oh, weird idea. Just came up with this one off the top of my head, not patting myself on the back. Hey, maybe if people dedicate their lives to others in certain fields, we can have some sort of forgiveness program where the government covers your student debt, i.e. if you become yeah. a teacher or someone who works with trafficking victims or someone who works in public service, then maybe we can find ways to forgive $91,000 worth of debt. What are you talking about? I'm also <laughs> with you that uh, college is an extremely important thing. I have gone on record a number of times saying uh, that I don't recommend it. My wife has gotten furious with me, especially as we have a son now where she's like, there's about 400 examples of you on your dumb podcast and TV show saying, F college. No, we don't. uh, Come on. But you are right, I think, that there's things like community colleges. There's things like trade schools. There's things like taking a gap year to really find out your priorities. Most of all, what I want to say on our way out the door is that I know in your day-to-day life, you probably can't think of yourself like this, but from the outside, you are a hero. You're helping victims. You're helping people who have no advantages. You're helping people whose whole lives are an uphill battle. You're doing more than most, and it's a really incredible thing, and you're a really incredible person, and I hope you do listen to the podcast and hear that part, and I hope it really rings true. 
Oh, thanks, Chris. Now you're having me teary eyes. <laughs> it's been so great talking to you and hearing your perspective on what my life is. I appreciate all that you do. I'm so sorry that that conversation ended with the audio cutting out as I tried to uh, pump the pump the caller up. All of it, stuff I feel so truthfully that that caller is uh, really doing good for the world. Caller, thank you for doing the hard work that not all of us are, have the emotional capacity to do. Thank you so much. Thank you to Harry Nelson in the booth holding it down. Jared O'Connell was already off in London, uh, gallivanting around, leaving us here holding the bag. Classic Jared. Thank you to Shell Shag for the music. You want to know about me and when I'm out on the road, chrisgeff.com. All the tour dates are there. You want to help the show? Go to Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. It really helps when you do. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous. As a tribute okay. to your, a very respectful tribute to your dad. And my <laughs> version of what that must sound like in a Cockney accent would be like, Hi, everybody. Happy to be back in the pub. Check out me Porsche doctor. That's a Cockney accent in my mind. Why was the end French? Was that close or no? I mean... It started so well, and then it just got worse from there. You just described so many of my projects, so many of my professional <laughs> endeavors. It started so well, and then just went off the rails. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous.